If you have your Bibles, we'll, we'll kind of be in Ezra today. Today's going to be a, a little bit of a unique sermon for Father's Day. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, uh, and I was, I was just going to keep preaching through Ezra. But as I looked at Ezra 1 through 5, I thought this would be a good opportunity to uh, do it today. And that is, I want to I honor uh, my dad today, which I thought he was going to be here, so I'm really disappointed that he's not. Uh, but he can listen on the podcast, hopefully. And uh, I'll just warn you guys, I've been really emotional today. I think maybe because it's my first Father's Day. I saw a book. This We got these kids' books for me to read to Blakely, and it said Daddy on there. And I, I started crying at this book that said Daddy. So I, it might be a rough one uh, for you guys. So just don't tell anybody I cried, okay, because it's not very manly. But uh, I have three goals with today's sermon. Number one, you know, I do want to honor my dad, but I want to—I I would like to write write a book one day about all the men who have affected my life, all my fathers, grandfathers, uh, mainly because I want to pass that down to my kids, uh, so they know who and how they got formed into the people they are. Uh, I don't know very much about my great grandfathers, and I know nothing about my great great grandfathers, and that's kind of sad to me uh, because I know that those men form me in ways that I don't even fully understand. And so I want my kids to know and I want their kids to know uh, that the reason dad was the way dad was was partly because somebody else messed him up. (laughs) Partly the good things, hopefully, are the things they pick up from uh, the people who came before me. And so by preaching this sermon, you guys are helping me write a book. I might do this for the next several Father's Days. So if you don't like it, just don't come back. I'm sorry. Uh, Next week will be normal again. Uh, The second goal I have, though, is uh, to bring into your mind your fathers, and it might not be your biological father, but those men who shaped your life so that you would be able to honor them today. And I pray that if they're alive, you would reach out and you would thank them for the way that they have shaped you. And if they're not alive, I pray that you would pray to God and thank God for sending you that man in your life and the time that you needed him to form you into the person that you were to be. I think honor is really important. And uh, there's an interesting story in the book of Genesis uh, after Noah gets off of the, the boat, and uh, this is the part we don't teach in Sunday school because it's, it's rated R and it's weird. Uh, Noah gets off the boat, and he goes and he makes a vineyard, and he gets drunk on wine, and he passes out naked in his tent. Uh, again, we don't tell your kids this in Sunday school. We just tell them about the pretty boat and the flood and all of that stuff and the, and the rainbow. Uh, but Noah gets drunk. He's passed out naked. And uh, then one of his sons comes in, and it says he looked at his nakedness. And it's weird because that son gets cursed. And then he has these other two sons who come in and they're commended because they cover up their father. And there's a lot of different uh, things that people say about this text. Uh, none of us really have no idea what the text is supposed to mean. But one of the, the things that some of the Israelite rabbis would talk about uh, was this idea of covering the shame of your father. Uh, that a good son would honor his father publicly and not point out his father's shame. And the way that you, uh, you move forward in life, not just avoiding your dad's shame, because dads do make mistakes. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to make plenty of mistakes. And I don't want my kids to repeat those mistakes or glorify those mistakes. But the way that they actually move forward is not by ridiculing me, but by covering up my shame by the way that they live their lives. Uh, that's the mandate we all have. None of our dads are perfect. And the way you honor your dad is by living a life better than the life that he lived so that your kids might live a life that is better than the one that you live. And so today, as you think about your fathers, I want you to think about your own life. And I want you to begin to think about, especially if you're a dad, I want you to think about the legacy you're leaving for your kids, the shame in your life, the sin in your life, so that you might be a better dad for them, so that they can be a better dad or a better uh, mom for their children as they grow up. So those are my goals. I want to honor my dad. I want to honor your dad. And and I want all of us to look inward at ourselves and get better. And this message is particularly for the men, obviously, today. 
So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. I've got six things that I want to talk about from this text, things that I'm grateful for uh, when it comes to my dad, things he taught me about God, and I'm excited to share those with you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for being the one true father. Uh, God, thank you that I look to you as my ultimate role model of what it means to be a dad. I'm so grateful for the dad that you've given me. I'm so grateful uh, that I was born when I was born and where I was born, to whom I was born. And God, I'm thankful for the man who raised me. Uh, Lord, all of these things have formed me into the person that I am today. But God, most of all, I am grateful that I get to call you my dad. I'm grateful that through Jesus Christ, I've been adopted into your family. That through his blood, you see me now, not as your enemy, but as your son. And there is nothing I can do, for good or for worse, to change that status. There's nothing I could do to make you love me more, and there's nothing I could do to make you love me less. And God, it is in that, on this Father's Day, that I rejoice in the most. Jesus, I thank you, and I love you. Amen. And before I get into what Ezra kind of pointed out and made me think of my dad, I got two things uh, that I really didn't realize I was grateful for, especially as a kid. But as I've reflected back on it, uh, I am grateful for my dad for these things. Uh, Number one, my dad showed me how important a dad is. Just having a dad put me way ahead of many people who do not have a dad. Uh, I saw some statistics from the Department of Justice and uh, from the CDC, and I thought I'd share some of them with you. There's a list of like 100. You can Google them yourself. But it's absolutely amazing the difference a dad who is present in the home makes. Here's just some of these mind-blowing statistics. 90%, 90% of runaway and homeless children are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. 70% of minors housed in state facilities are from fatherless homes. 39% of our current inmates came from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless households. 63% of youth suicides happen in households with an absent father. 85%, 85% of children with behavioral disorders are from homes without fathers. And children are four times more likely to be in poverty from a lack of a father in the home. Those are just some amazing statistics. I feel like we live in a world that beats up on men and beats up on dads more than ever before. And yet dads are as important as they have ever been. And I know in our society, we begin to think we're smarter than God. So we begin to mess with systems that God set up himself. And we begin to say one man and one woman in a covenant for life raising children together is really old and antiquated. And it's a part of the patriarchy, whatever that means. And the truth is, is that it's not a part of the patriarchy. It's a part of God's plan for humanity. And when we begin to mess with that plan, we begin to remove things that we don't think ought to be there. What happens is a lot of chaos in this world. I saw a shirt that I loved. It said, we need less government and more dads. And I just think that's a really good plan. And the problem is, is that we have less dads in homes than we've ever had before. In fact, in 1960, 9% of the children in the United States didn't have a dad at home. By 2012, that number was up to 20% of children who do not have dads in the home. And the current number, the best I could find, was 34% of children do not have their dad living with them at home. Friends, we're going the wrong way, and it won't be solved by politicians. It's solved by dads who are present, dads who are there. And I am so grateful that my dad was there. And I I begin to think back uh, about how many times, or how many different ways my life could have gone if I did not have my dad there. As I read some of these statistics, I think about what my life might be like if I didn't have him in my life. And I'm so grateful that he was there for me. And number two uh, is my dad showed me what a father actually is. My dad showed me what a father is. So this is kind of 
my first Father's Day. Kind of, but not really, because my baby won't be here till October. So I'm a father in the sense that I have biologically made a human being. Uh, I believe Blakely has her own uh, mind, her own consciousness. She is a divine image bearer of God. Uh, But I am not a father in the sense that I have raised Blakely. Uh, I have done the easy part of fatherhood. I have done the part that anybody can do when it comes to fatherhood. It's really actually a good deal being the guy in this whole deal because I have no responsibilities. My wife has all of the pain, all of the work, and I just sit back. Uh, And this is really a problem with men is that we think doing the fun part is the part that we call fatherhood. And sorry for my crassness, but you guys are adults. Reality is, is that a father is not somebody who makes a baby. A father is somebody who loves and raises a baby. You see, anybody can plant a seed, but it takes the intention and the care of a farmer to grow a crop that produces fruit. My dad doesn't look like me because my dad is not my biological father. But he's my dad. You know why? Because he was there from the very beginning. He was the one who has raised me. He is the one who made me into the man that I am today, for better or for worse. Kevin Farley is my dad. And I know a lot of people have step-parents that they don't get along with very well, and I hate that for them, but I've never felt that my dad loved me any differently than he would as if I were his own child. I never even thought about it until I got older, that it's kind of odd that my dad loves me as much as he would love his own biological son. Uh, Country music always comes in handy in times like this. And this is probably why I started crying this morning, because those dang country singers can get you. Uh, There's a song by a guy named Brad Paisley, and uh, he sings uh, this song. uh, uh, It's called Dad, You Didn't Have to Be. And uh, this particular verse really hit me. It hadn't hit me before, but I think because I'm about to be a dad, I kind of thought of this moment, and it it was uh, profound to me. But anyways, it said, I met the girl that's now my wife about three years ago. We had the perfect marriage, but we wanted something more. Now here I stand, surrounded by our family and friends, crowded around the nursery window as they bring the baby in. You hear that in my voice? Don't be a baby, Blake. Here we go. And now all of a sudden, it seems so strange to me how we've gone from something missing to a family. Looking through the glass, I think about the man that's standing next to me, and I hope I'm at least half the dad he didn't have to be. A father is the one who's there for you at all times. And my dad showed me what it means to be a dad. And I won't be perfect for Blakely, but I will be there. And I know that. And I got the best image from a dad who's not even my biological father. But he loved me like I was. I think I'm crying. I think, I think we passed that point. All right, number three. My dad gave me a good example to follow. You know, these glasses aren't helpful when your eyes are watery. You can't, I mean, it's just, I see nothing. My dad gave me a good example to follow. This is where we get into Ezra. Ezra 10.1. Uh, while Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women, and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. I, I love this because you see, Ezra didn't tell the people to weep bitterly. He didn't tell them to repent from their sin. They saw Ezra doing this, and they did it because he was their leader. They followed his imitation. And as a father, this is the best way to lead your children. Now, there are other ways to lead your children. You can lead your children with force, you know, physically moving them or spanking them or whatever else you want to do. You can also influence them with your authority. You know, that's the I'm the dad and that's why we're doing it. Well, why? Because I'm the dad. I made you. I pay for you. And so you're going to do what I say to do. And, and there's a place for force and authority. When you've got a two year old, you don't try to negotiate with him when he's trying to run towards the road. 
You physically pick him up and remove him from the danger because you love him. When your siblings are fight, when your children are fighting with one another, you use your muscle to move them and to stop them from doing what they're doing. Uh, the University of Toronto did a study on the most violent people in the whole world, and you know who the most violent people are? It's two-year-old boys. <laughs> There's a reason why God in His grace made toddlers small. Because they would kill us if they were any bigger. So sometimes you have to use your force. Sometimes you have to use your authority. When you say, give me your phone, you need to go to bed at 9.30. And they say, well, why? My friends get their phones. You say, because I'm not your friend's dad. Now give me the phone. There's a place for that. But the ultimate way we ought to lead is the way Ezra does. That you do the things you want to see your kids do. That your kids follow in your example. Don't be the nutritionist who's obese. Don't be the shop teacher who has no fingers because he's got them all off. Lead by example. Children can pick up on hypocrisy better than anything else. And what you'll find, probably really frustratingly, I've seen it in in so many different kids, is that they end up taking on a lot of your bad habits before they take on the good habits you tell them to take on. They become like you. And this is exactly what we see here in Ezra. And as I think about my own father, I think of all the things I've gotten from him. A lot of these things that I wish I wouldn't have gotten from him, like the fact that I cheer for losers. Uh, He's an Oklahoma State Cowboy and Dallas Cowboy fan. And I think back frequently, you know, why couldn't he cheer for a good team? But I'm already ruined. I cheer for those teams because my dad cheered for those teams. Uh, Some of you, Blake, why do you like NASCAR? Why do you like just watching cars drive around in a circle? It's my dad's fault. That I like a sport you all think is boring. I can't help it. I saw my dad doing these things. I cheered alongside him. And it formed me into the type of person who loved these kind of things. And of course, in much bigger things. I've been formed by my father as well. Uh, J.C. Ryle has this quote. Uh, he says, he's a pastor in the 1800s. And it's, it's advice that especially as I come into fatherhood, it like really hits me. It puts a lot of weight on me. Uh, and I think it should for us dads. It's, it's a big responsibility we have. J.C. Ryle says, Instruction and advice and commands will profit little unless they are backed up by the pattern of your own life. Your children will never believe you are in earnest and really wish them to obey you so long as your actions contradict your counsel. Be an example of reverence for the word of God. Reverence in prayer. Reverence for the means of grace. Reverence for the Lord's day. Be an example in words and temper and diligence and temperance and faith and charity and kindness and humility. Think not your children will practice what they do not see you do. Children are very quick observers. Very quick in seeing through some kinds of hypocrisy. Very quick in finding out what you really think and feel. Very quick in adapting all your ways and opinions. Adopting rather. You will often find, as the father is, so is the son. They will seldom learn habits which they see you despise, or walk in paths in which you do not walk yourself. He that preaches to his children what he does not practice is working a work that will never go forward. Then he ends with this. It is like a fabled web of Penelope of old, who wove all day and unwove all night. Even so, the parent who tries to train without setting a good example is building with one hand and tearing down with the other. My dad set an example for me. Uh, there's a story. Uh, it's, a, it's a fake story. It's a parable, uh, a really old one, about uh, an alcoholic father who became sober. And he had tried many different things. But the day that finally everything changed for him was the day he was walking from his house to the bar on a snowy night. And as he got to the bar, he looked behind him and he saw his footprints in the snow. But he didn't just see his footprints. He saw the little footprints of his son following right behind him. 
And the parable of the story, the point of the parable rather, was that you better be careful where you walk because little feet tend to follow you to those places. And he realized in that moment he wasn't leading his son down the path he wanted his own son to go down and he changed his life. And one of the greatest compliments I can probably give my dad is that the path that he walked is a path that I'm proud to follow in. And of course, there are areas in which I want to do better than my father. And there will be areas in which I want my children to do better than me. But I think that the only thing we can hope for as fathers is that we walked a little bit better of a path than our fathers did before us. And that we are leading our kids not in the wrong direction, but in the right direction. And I'm so grateful that I had a father who led me in the right paths. And I wonder how different my life would be if he hadn't led me down those paths. Number four is my dad has formed my character into the man that I am today. Uh, verse 2 and 3, this is where we get into the really fun names. Uh, we, we see the goal of every father. This ought to be your goal. It says, Then Shechaniah, son of Jehel, sounds like you're saying a curse word in church, doesn't it? What in the Jehel? Oh, calm down. It's a joke. You guys are tense. <laughs> An Elamite responded to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women. From the surrounding peoples. But there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let's make a covenant before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children. According to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the command of our God. Let it be done according to the law. See, it's interesting because I, before I read this text about a hundred times this week, I had assumed that Ezra came up with the solution. The problem, the sin that was there was that they were marrying foreign women. Uh, and what we see is that they, they make a plan to covenant and to send away these foreign women. We'll talk more about this later. Uh, but the solution actually didn't come from Ezra. It came from these guys who are following Ezra. See, and this is what you want for your children. You don't want them just to do the things you tell them to do. You want them to be the kind of people that will do the right thing and can make the right decisions because of who they are. You know, when you're young and you tell your kid to make their bed, you want them to make their bed so that they make their bed. But you hope as they grow up, they begin to make their bed because they're the type of people who care for what God has given them. They're the type of people who are disciplined and who want their life to be in order. And so that you don't, when they're 18 years old, have to tell them to make their bed because they want to make their bed. You, you want to raise kids who are pure. You want to raise kids who come to you and say, Dad, I need covenant eyes on my phone because I can't trust myself with this. And I want to be a pure person. Not because I'm afraid of getting caught, but because I want to be pure. And so these are the natural things I need to do. And like this, uh, my dad has formed me in several different ways that I didn't really realize as a kid growing up. But I find myself uh, as an adult saying, what would Kevin Farley do? <laughs> Which is a dangerous question sometimes, especially when I'm driving. Uh, some of you, you ride with me and, and you're like, wow, this is insane. You know nothing. You know nothing until you ride in a car with Kevin Farley. Uh, I, it's unbelievable. He'd make a preacher cuss. I'm not kidding you. It's bad. And, and I pick up on that. But in, in even bigger things in life, I've picked up on this. When I started dating my wife and we got serious, I, I began to think and treat her the way I thought my dad would treat my mom because he set a great example for that. You know, I opened her door. We went to a steakhouse and, and I cut her steak for her. And that wasn't because I'm just really sweet. It's because I saw my dad do it and it worked for him. And when, I, when my family needed money... I knew what my dad would do, and that would be that he would do something. He would start sweating and working and doing whatever it took. So Blake Farley started mowing lawns. Now, that's a hilarious joke if you knew Blake Farley before he started mowing lawns. But I, I knew what my dad would do because I've seen him do it. I've seen him drive hours to go to work for us. 
I've seen him come hours back home so that he could be home on the weekends. I saw my dad do that, and I wanted to do that. I knew that was the right thing to do. He'd formed me into that. And when my wife told me that we were pregnant, uh, one of the first things I did was I gave away my PlayStation. I locked it away. I played one last NASCAR race. I used to race NASCAR races on the PlayStation. Not the short race. I would spend hours. I would do the full race. A colossal waste of time. But I, I, I knew that my life was about to change. My priorities were about to change. My family had to be first, and I didn't have time for these hobbies. And I saw my dad do that time and time and time again. He always put his family first. Sometimes it was frustrating because I wanted us to watch a NASCAR race or something, and he was going and doing something for my mom or he was working. Why? Because he put his family first, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. I started waking up at 6 in the morning uh, a couple months ago, and I haven't missed a morning since. And quite honestly, I'm not a morning person. But I knew that to be a dad, I needed to be like my dad. I needed to be up and at him, ready to go, ready to make money for my family and provide for my family and be there for my wife. These are all things that I would not have done if I wasn't formed by Kevin Farley. He didn't tell me to do these things, but he formed me into the person who wanted to do these things. And I wonder now, as you think of your own father, how has he formed you into the person that you are today? And again, it might not be your biological father, but your grandfathers or those who are like dads to you. How have they formed you? And would you thank them for that today? Because you wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't make the decisions you make today if it wasn't for them. Number five uh, of six, so we're getting close to the end here, is my dad took responsibility and action. It's one thing I can always say about him. He always took responsibility and action. Ezra 10, 4 and 5 says, Get up, for this matter is your responsibility, Ezra, and we support you. Be strong and take action. I love this. Verse 5, then Ezra got up. Verse 4 says, get up. Verse 5 says, Ezra got up and made the leading priests and Levites and all of Israel take on an oath to do what had been said. So they took the oath. This is one of the key characteristics of masculinity, I believe. And that is that we get stuff done. We are people of action. God wants us to be leaders. He wants us to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Not passive men who wait around waiting for somebody else to do what we ought to be doing. And on a scale of passivity and aggressiveness, Kevin Farley is all the way over on the aggressive side. Which sometimes caused a lot of problems in my life. You know, like... He, 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 never, he never worries about sharing his opinion and what that might do to people. Which when you're you know, waiting for water and the waitress is kind of slow, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. But that same kind of aggressiveness is what leads him to take care of his family. And when something doesn't work out, when he's maybe lost a job or he's had something go wrong, I never worried that my dad wasn't going to take care of us. He didn't wait around for the government to give him money. He said, no, I'm going to go do what I need to do. And he started making calls and he would do what needed to be done to provide for the family. It was that kind of aggressiveness, that kind of assertiveness that was what I hoped to have in my own life. I don't want to be a passive man. I want to be a man who my family can trust, my kids can feel secure in. The dad's going to figure it out. Uh, my dad always, he would never, uh, he's still to this day, he, he won't stop until something is done. And it doesn't matter how small or big it is. This is so frustrating. Uh, because, you know, we would get like a toy for Christmas or whatever, and we'd go out to the garage to put it together. And it'd probably help him if he read the instructions, but he never did. So he just put the toy together the way he thought it ought to be put together. And uh, that often led to frustration. Uh, and, and we would be out there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I would get to the point where I'm like, Dad, I don't even care about the toy. Just leave the toy alone. But he would not stop. He would stay until 3 in the morning if that's what it took to get the toy put together. And I think in my own life, especially as I was younger, uh, I did not have that. You know, I, I gave up too easy. 
I was too passive. When things were hard, when things were difficult, I would try a little bit, but I would quit. But one of the things my dad has taught me, one of the things I hope to be true about me, is that I'm the kind of guy like him who does not quit. When I tell you I'm going to do something, you can bet I'm going to do it. It might take me all day, it might take me a year, but I will do what I said that I would do. Because I am not going to be a passive man, I'm going to be a man who takes care of my family. Uh, I, I'm reading right now a huge biography of our 18th president. How many know who the 18th president is? Yeah, you didn't pay attention in history class, okay? It's U.S. Grant. Now, I can't tell you who the 19th president is, but I'll tell you who the 18th is because I'm reading his biography. But uh, he, uh, he didn't see his first child for the first three years of his child's life. And it wasn't because he didn't love his child. It was because he was fighting a civil war. He was doing what he needed to do for his family. And I think a lot about my dad as I read that biography because... Uh, a lot of the times, you know, I, I thought about my dad that, you know, I wish he was here or I, I would criticize him for certain things. I didn't realize that he was out doing what he was supposed to be doing, providing for his family and doing what needed to be done, whether or not I understood it or not. That's number five. My dad took responsibility and action. And here's the final one and uh, the most important one. And Tim and Zach, you guys can go ahead and make your way up. My dad showed me the love God has for me. My dad showed me the love God has for me. There is uh, a lot of theology around God being our father and what that's like. And theology is fine, but for a lot of us, it's very difficult to experience that love because maybe we haven't experienced that kind of love from our earthly fathers. But in many ways, my dad has shown me, probably more so than somebody who does live with their biological father, the love of God because I am an adopted son of God. And Kevin Farley adopted me as if I were his own. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul says about our adoption. It says, For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know why God paid for your sins? Why Jesus came and He lived a life you couldn't live and He died the death of a sinner so that you might have righteousness? It wasn't so you could go to a place called heaven when you die. That's what most people think. He paid my penalty so I don't have to go to hell and I get to go to heaven. Now that's a piece of it. But the primary reason why God had Jesus pay for your sins was so that He might call you His son and His daughter. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be your heavenly Father. If you haven't been adopted or been around adoption, it might be hard to understand this kind of love. I know it would be for me, but it's not as hard for me to understand because I've seen it through the way Kevin Farley has loved me. I started with a country song a little bit earlier. made me cry. So the second one's probably going to do the same thing. But I'm going to end with this country song that reminds me of my own father and the love that God has for each and every one of us. Uh, my friend Riley Goodwin showed me this song, and I hate him for it. Uh, it makes me cry. It's called uh, My Boy. And uh, there's also a version of My Girl. So if you want to cry, if you have a girl and you want to cry, I'd listen to that version. You know, it's the guy, the guy really set us up good. But I, I want to read uh, a little bit of the lyrics because it reminds me of my dad and it reminds me of the way that God has loved us. It says, He ain't got my smile. That don't bother me a bit. He's got somebody else's eyes I'm seeing myself in. I'm holding on to every moment. God knows I've missed a few. The day we met, I knew I had some catching up to do. He ain't my blood, ain't got my name, but if he did, I'd feel the same. I wasn't there for his first steps, but I haven't missed a ball game yet, and that ain't ever going to change. I could never walk away. 
Yeah, he's my son and that's my choice. He ain't got my blood, but he's my boy. Friends, this is the way God loves us. He loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you, to take your place on the cross so that he might have relationship with you. And there is nothing you can do that would revoke that adoption status. He didn't love you because you were lovable. He loved you because you were his. My dad didn't love me because I was lovable, although I was probably a lot cuter back then. He chose to love me. He saw me and he said, that's my boy. And there's nothing I could do to my dad that would revoke that status. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And the same is true with our Heavenly Father. When we understand that, it changes everything about the way we relate to God and we relate to other people. So friends, today I'm glad you were here as I got to honor my dad. But I pray that it brought up memories and, and fondness in your own heart for your own father or fathers. And, and I pray that as we leave this place, we're all encouraged to be better dads ourselves, men. And I want you to know that most men are very happy to be dads. In fact, that same study that all those statistics said uh, about 80% of men would say they considered life hadn't really even started until they had a kid, which I think is pretty amazing. But that same study said about 60% of men felt they were not very well equipped to be dads. And I hate that number. And I think as a Ascent, we as men need to bond together and to help one another. And it's also so important for us as men of Ascent to be there for single moms. To be there for those who are not, do not have a father. To be a father to the fatherless. To look out for those kids. Because that is what our Heavenly Father has done for us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that I get to call you Father. I just say that in prayer without even really thinking about it. But the God of this universe calls me His Son. How powerful is that? That I get to call you my dad. Lord, I pray today for anybody who has not believed that or lived their life like that, that they would believe it for the first time today, that when you died on the cross, Jesus, and you said it is finished, that your blood was poured out and everything that needed to be done was done for us to be adopted sons and daughters of God. All we have to do is believe that it is true and begin to live like we believe it is true. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing.